be in a Christian's life. And before he gets to the point of making his point, he gives a little bit of a foundation for what he's going to challenge uh, the Christians to do. And I want us to look at this as we get to verse 1 of 1 John chapter number 3. He says, Behold, and I want to just stop there for a moment, okay? Uh, I, want to, I want to just, we could spend a, a sermon on behold, amen? Uh, the idea of behold is not so much just a parting glance or seeing something, but to literally gaze upon. I mean, just to, to feast our eyes upon. Behold it. Uh, understand, you know, just soak it all in. Uh, occasionally, uh, I get an opportunity to travel somewhere. I remember a few years back, uh, I took my eldest daughter on a trip out to California to look at a college that she was considering. And on the way, we, we made a few day trip of it. On the way, we went through and uh, saw um, uh, the uh, Mount Rushmore. And boy, that was a, a thing, wonderful thing. I'd never been out there before. And boy, the beauty of the, just the scene, even driving out there, just the beauty of it. And I just sat there, and, and my kids, my kids, when we drive down the road, they sleep or they have their noses buried in a phone. And I'm like, guys, wake up. The world's passing you. You're missing some of the most amazing things. And, and when we got to Mount Rushmore, and we stood there, and we're just looking up at this thing. We're like, wow, this is amazing. And we just, we were soaking it. We didn't, we wished we had more time. We just wanted to soak it all in, all the details, all the wonder of it. Then we'd make it out to the Pacific Ocean. And uh, I, I lived on the Atlantic coast in Florida for a number of years and knew what it was. We only lived four minutes from the ocean. Uh, and so I'd been in the Atlantic Ocean quite a few times. Never had been in the Pacific. Never. So I, I wanted to see the Pacific, wanted to go there. So while we were in California, we were only about 40 minutes away. We made a, a drive over there one afternoon while she was looking at the college. And again... Just stood there, and it was so different. They had cliffs and, uh, on here, and it went dropped down to the ocean, just a small little area of beach uh, down there. And I went and um, and uh, just uh, reached down with my hand and put my hand in the uh, Pacific Ocean. It was still water, by the way, uh, but it was just the fact that it was the Pacific Ocean. And I stood there in wonder of it and the vastness of it. Oftentimes, there are truths of Scripture that we tend to gloss by. We see them, but we don't behold them. We don't consider the wonder of them. And when John is writing these things, and I love what he does here, he he begins with the word behold. And he says this, behold, notice this, what manner of love the the Father hath bestowed upon us. Have Have you ever stopped to think about the manner of the love. The manner of the love. What does that mean? Hold your place here for a moment. I want us to look at something here in Romans uh, chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5. And many of you can quote this verse probably by heart, I would imagine. Romans chapter number 5. And let's look in verse number 1. We're going to read down through several verses here. Romans chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we, uh, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, 
and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is what? It's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto you. For when ye were yet without strength in due time, Christ, what? Died for the ungodly. What was the manner of Christ's love? The manner of His love was the giving of His only begotten Son. For scarcely, verse number 7, for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. But God, (laughs) this isn't just anybody, but God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's one thing for us to die for a righteous man, or to sacrifice for a righteous cause, or to to give uh, sacrificially for a righteous thing. But God loved us so much, and the manner of His love was such, that even while we were yet sinners, He died for us. Boy, aren't we glad of that? Notice He says here, "...much more than being now justified by His blood..." We shall be saved from wrath through Him. You say, how do I get saved? By putting your faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The price that He paid on Calvary. He took a debt that you and I owed, and He paid it for us. And He says, here's your receipt. It's paid in full. All you got to do is put faith in it. Trust it. Notice he says, verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, so much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And John says, don't miss it. Behold it. This is a wonder of what God has done for us. Don't just look at it. Don't just have it up here. Behold it. Think of it often. Meditate upon it. Gaze upon it. Spend time thinking about it. I have a friend of mine down in Florida. His name's Wayne Corfman. An older fellow. I've talked to him about him often in church. Brother Wayne says to me often, the day was made for supper, for dinner. And he, he, he literally, his entire day revolves around dinner time for him. And he gets home and he, he doesn't eat dinner. He says, I graze. <laughs> you know what that means? It means he'll eat a bite and then he'll set it down and he'll enjoy it. And he might read a page of a book while he's sitting there. And then he'll look down at his dinner again and he'll take another bite. I invited him out to eat one time, and he said, no, I'm not going to go with you. And I mean, for numbers of times, I kept saying, Brother Wayne, you've got to let me take you out to eat. It'll be, you're robbing me of a blessing. And finally, when I used that on him, he said, okay, I'll go with you under one condition. I said, what's that? And he said, you've got to eat slow. You know what he was saying by that? The day was made for dinner. And when dinner time comes, we don't rush through it. We don't take it for granted. We, we feast upon it. We graze upon it. We, we, gain, we, we get every ounce of enjoyment out of that. I think that's the idea behind the, what John is saying here. Behold, understand this, meditate upon it. Have wonder about this. That the Holy, that, 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 that the, that the holy God of heaven looked down on sinful man 
and said, while they're yet sinners, I'm going to die for them and pay their sin debt. And John says, behold it. Behold it. Notice he says this, behold what manner of the love the Father hath bestowed upon us. He's given it to us. Freely, He's offered it to us. Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 23, you can quote it by heart. Uh, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He giveth it, He gives it to us. Look with me once again, if you will, to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. And, and we're not even to the message yet. This was all just the foundation, the groundwork, okay? So hang in there with me. If you're here and you've trusted Christ as your Savior already, get excited because the, the, the message is coming. Uh, if you're here and you're lost, don't miss what we're saying right now. Because this is important that you understand this. Look in verse number, chapter 8 and verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are what? In Christ Jesus. Jesus said to His disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, and His resurrection paid the price for our sin. And he, he, all He asks us to do is to put our faith in Him. In Ephesians chapter 2, He says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That's it. Not church membership, not baptism, not living a good life, but by faith. Martin Luther, who belonged to the Roman Catholic Church a number of years ago, for many years, believed in the work salvation that they taught. He was reading his Bible one day and came in Romans where the Bible says, The just shall live by faith. And it struck his heart. It struck a nerve. He began to question the teaching. And that's what led him to nail the 95 Thesis on the door of the church that day was to say, there's some things wrong here. We've been teaching this wrong. Don't miss it. The just shall live by faith, and faith alone. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Notice this. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Those that are in Christ Jesus, that will be a natural tendency to not walk after the flesh anymore, but to walk after the Spirit. For the law, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Boy, isn't that a wonderful thing uh, thing to think about? For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, notice this, please don't miss it, is what? The carnal mind is what? Enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if so be, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. The Bible says, And you hath the quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And, and, and Paul writes this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in verse number 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be, the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. 
And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of, this, uh, because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. This is the wonderment that John speaks of here. This idea that we have salvation because of God's love for us, even while we were yet sinners. And when He paid the price on Calvary, He says, If you're in Me, if you put your faith and trust in Me, there is therefore now no condemnation. You're not under the carnal law of sin and death. You're now walking in the Spirit. And John says, Behold it. Don't miss it. Don't just, gaze, don't just look upon it, but gaze upon it. And so He hath bestowed these things to us. John chapter number 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God has given us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven, and He does not make us earn it. He simply says, by faith. And John says, behold it. There are some truths here that you don't want to miss. The first one is that God hath bestowed upon us, hath bestowed upon us this manner of love. What is He speaking of? The sacrificial death, burial, resurrection of His own Son as payment for my sin. John said, don't miss it. Don't miss it. What else does He say? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. If we belong to Him, there's going to be some outcasts from the, from the world. We're going to be outcasts from the world. They're going to criticize they're going to ridicule. They're going to find fault with. They're going to call what we do deviant. By the way, we're living in those days. They're going to look at those that are trying to live godly, according to Scripture, and they're going to say, you guys are racist or homophobic, or hate speech. They're going to use those labels against those that are doing nothing more than trying to follow the Lord Jesus Christ who really are doing nothing more than having the love of God on this world. And yet we're going to be marked and labeled as deviant. Why? Because they didn't know Christ. They're, not going, to, they're, not going, they're going to reject us too. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't miss that, John says. Behold these truths. Understand them. Now, I want us to focus in, and here's the message as we get to verse number 2. Beloved, he's speaking here now to Christians. Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We can all understand that, right? We're not what we ought to be, even now. We're saved by the grace of God, and I thank the Lord for that. But we're not all that we're supposed to be. We haven't arrived yet. Even Paul, as great as he was, got to the place where he's at the end of his life, he said, not as though I had already attained. He said, I haven't made it yet. He said, I pressed toward the mark, but I'm not there yet. Uh, we're not there yet. And it's interesting, as John writes these things, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're going to be perfect one day, but we're not yet. I'm thankful I'm not what I used to be. I'm thankful that the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian helps us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow after righteousness. We, we now have a desire for that. Whereas before we were saved, we had no desire to live righteously. 
But when we got saved, that Holy Spirit that I told you about that comes and lives inside of us, He helps us to want to live rightly, to do what the Bible says, to love the things of the Lord. These things are not grievous to us. These things are precious to us. They reveal to us the mind and the heart of our Savior. And we say, Lord, we want to do those things. We want to be pleasing to You. And he goes on to say this in verse 2, that it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this. Notice this. But we know that when He shall appear, we're speaking here of the rapture, when He shall appear, we shall what? Be like Him. Boy, I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? How many of you are looking forward to that day? I'm looking forward to the day that sin doth not reign anymore in this mortal body. Completely, absolutely victorious over sin. It does not affect me anymore. I'm thankful for that day when the temptation and the tempter are put away and we are no longer under that, under that um, fleshly desire that so often causes us to be tempted and, to te- and when we're tempted to sin. We, we are not yet what we should be. But the Bible says this, and John writes this. He says, don't miss it. Behold it. Feast upon this. Gaze upon it. Don't miss the impact of this truth. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him. And here's the message I want us to understand. For we shall see Him, what does it say? As He is. Why are we going to be like Him when He appears? John tells us. We're going to be like Him when He appears for we shall see Him as He is. Can I, can I help us with the truth this morning? And hopefully this will be a, an encouragement to you. When we see God, the more that we see God the way that He really is, and, and we do that by reading Scripture and seeing how He's revealed to us, the more we see God as He really is, the more we become like Him. You cannot draw closer to a holy God without seeing the undone and sinful nature that we have. It is an impossible thing to do. It's amazing to me that the righteousness of God, we can show it in an illustration that the righteousness of God is here and man is here, but that is not the truth. The truth is His righteousness is so infinite I can't measure it with my hand. And my depravity and my sinfulness is not even, it can't even stand in the presence of His holiness. And so John writes this, he says, we know this, we're not what we should be, but when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. If this holds true, which it does, it's written in Scripture, if this holds true, then the reason that we preach so often on on, on our walk with God, our knowledge of Him, our walk with Him, our relationship, our fellowship with Him being the First priority of the Christian life is so that we can become more like Him. Because the closer we get to a holy God, the more we see our undone condition and how much we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people will read this passage and they'll say, well, Pastor John said, John said it, we're not what we're going to be until He appears. So why even try? I'm just going to live my life, and when He appears, I'll be like Him, and we're all done, right? No. It's not what He teaches here, is it? Because we haven't read verse number 3 yet. 
Let's look at verse number 3. And every man that hath this hope, what hope? The hope that we just looked at by beholding it. And every man that hath this hope, notice what it says here. Every man that hath this hope in him does what? Does what? Purifieth himself. You say, Pastor, do I have to live a, a, a good life? No, we get to live a good life. Do, do I have to abstain from worldliness? No, we get to abstain from worldliness. Because we are saved, every man that hath this hope, every man that understands what Christ has done for us, the fact that we are no longer under condemnation, the fact that when we were yet sinners, He died for us, there ought to be a desire in the Christian life, and it ought to be a natural desire of the Spirit that lives inside of us. It ought not be something that we have to stir up or try to drum up inside of us. But the more that we behold Him, the more that we gaze upon Him in Scripture, the closer that we gain His holiness and understanding of His holiness, the more we will purify ourselves, not because we have to, but because we want to. We ought not to live a holy life because, I'm a Christian, so I guess I have to do this. We have completely missed something. Turn with me. Hold your place here a minute. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Two different writers deal with this topic, by the way. In fact, you can find even other passages, I'm sure, and other, other scriptures that could support these things. For 2 Peter chapter number 1. Let's start in verse number 4. Let's back in verse number 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us, speaking of Christians here, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. It kind of sounds like what we're just teaching, isn't it? That He hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that it called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That sounds like becoming what we shall be. We're not there yet, but it's, a, but it's a process. We're getting there. We ought to be laboring for those things. We ought to be pressing for those marks. And beside this, verse number 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, he's not speaking here for salvation. He's speaking here of becoming more like him. To being what we shall be. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. To temperance, patience. To patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Many of us have read this. But, verse number 9, I want you to see the warning. He that lacketh these things is what? Blind. 
He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see, or, or I'm sorry, and hath forgotten that he was, what? Purged from his sin. If we lack these things, we're blind and we've forgotten that we've been purged from our old sin. And so the remedy to that is what John writes. John writes, behold. In other words, don't forget. Gaze upon it. Look upon it. You've been forgiven of your sins. There is therefore now no condemnation. And, and, and a sign of this is the fact that you want to be more like Him. Verse number 3 of First uh, of John chapter 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Well, how much, how far should I go, Pastor, in purifying myself? He gives us that in verse number 3. Aren't you glad the Bible answers our questions for us? You don't have to rely on Brother Greg, because I'll be honest with you, my opinion is wrong most of the time. I'm thankful we have God's Word, aren't you? Purifieth himself, notice this, even as he is pure. How far do I go with this, Pastor, until we reach the point of being pure like Christ? Well, I'm never going to reach that, not till the Lord comes back, exactly the point. That's exactly the point. So how much, how much effort, how much trying do we do in this life, on this side of heaven, striving to press toward that mark and to becoming more like Him? Should we just look at this truth and say, well, Pastor, John says we're not going to be like Him until we get to heaven, so why try? Why, try, why bother? We find the answer because we gaze upon what Christ has done for us. We see the manner of His love that has been bestowed upon us. And Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. Is that taught elsewhere in Scripture? Let's look in Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. Paul says this way, I beseech you, and that word beseech is a word that's beyond just asking. It's with strong urging, strong emotion. Pleading with would be a very close definition or understanding of what the word beseech means. Help us to have an understanding of a word that we don't use often in common language. It goes beyond just a simple asking or request, but it is a pleading or a begging, imploring. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, notice this, by what? You think, you think Paul could be in agreement with John here? Hey, I'm writing to the believers at Rome. I want them to understand, listen, there's some things we ought to be doing in our life, and, and, and it's not something that I'm just asking you to do. I want you to consider the mercies of God. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon you ought be the basis for what's getting ready to take place here in this request. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. Holy. H-O-L-Y. Acceptable unto God. Which is your extraordinary service. It's your above and beyond the call of duty service. Is that what Paul writes here? No. It's your what? 
It's reasonable. It just stands to reason. If you have this hope, if you've been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it ought to be the normal thing for us to long to live holy. I get so tired in this life of the preachers that stand in the pulpits and say it doesn't matter how you live your life. Just love God. It will all work out in the end. And they may not say it in those many words, but that's what they're preaching. I believe that God does love us. And I believe that because of the mercy that He shows us, if we can fully understand it, if we can behold it, if we can gaze upon it, the manner of love that He hath bestowed upon us. Paul says it this way, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. Look upon what God has done for us and let that constrain your heart. Not your actions, your heart. To what? Be holy. John says the word pure. Paul says, holy and acceptable unto God, even as He is holy. That means in my Christian life, because I've been saved, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, there ought to be a normal desire in my life to become more like Him. And it ought to be something that so draws my desire that I continuously pursue it throughout my life. That's where I think most Christians struggle. I know that's where I struggle. Because we understand we ought to be drawing closer to Him. But having that constant desire, continuous desire, day in and day out, I want to be more like Him today. When I read my Bible, I don't want to just read it again. I've read these passages in my lifetime so many times. There's so many of them I can quote by heart. Well, let me rephrase that. Sometimes by memory, not necessarily by heart. There is a difference, by the way. And if we're not careful when we come to Scripture, even in our Bible reading, our Bible time, our walk with God, if you will, it will become mundane. It will become our routine rather than our growth are pursuing, are pressing toward the mark. I want to find out everything I can this side of heaven about my Savior. Why? Because I want to be pure like He is. I want to pursue the holiness that He has in His life. I know I'm not going to get it till I, all of it till I get to heaven. But the more that I see Him, if when He appears, I'm going to be just like Him because I'll see Him as He is, then should it not be my heart's desire in this life to strive to see Him as He is every single day? I'm going to find that in this book. I'm going to find that in communing with Him and talking with Him. Spending time with God daily. Well, i got to do my devotions, Pastor. I'll tell you what, I'm recommitting myself. I'm making a New Year's resolution. I'm going to... I'm going to double my time for my devotions. Let's not have devotions. Let's be devoted. When it comes to Scripture, 
when it comes to our walk with God, let's give Him our heart. It shouldn't be set up on a stopwatch. We begin communing with Him. And when God's done communing with us, He'll let us know. There are times... There are times in life that are so sweet in the fellowship with God. By the time you stand to your feet, if you kneel or get up out of your chair, if you've been sitting, you feel, you feel refreshed inside. The joy seems to overwhelm. Everything seems so much sweeter having spent that time with the Lord. Other times you come to your scripture and you read it. You check off your little reading schedule. You say a prayer. And by the way, I, I, I forgive me for this. I'm just going to I'm going to give you a, a soapbox issue and a pet peeve for a minute. Can I do that as a pastor? I don't do that often. I don't like the phrase "say a prayer." That's not what we're doing. Pastor, can you say a prayer for me? No. I'll pray for you. I'm not going to say a prayer. Why? Because I want my heart involved. I want it engaged. When it comes to my time with Him, I don't want to just see Him. I want to behold Him. I want to, I want to soak up the wonderment of who God is. I want to see Him as He is. Why? Because it's going to cause me to become more like Him. Oh, that we can have that drive, that desire, that passion for God. Somewhere along the way, we often lose that, don't we? Christian life is not as sweet as it used to be sometimes. We get in that plateaued area where it just seems like things were just going through the motions. God's still where we left Him. And He longs for us to have a desire for Him every day. To draw closer to Him. To walk with Him. He said, Pastor, are you preaching to us today about church attendance? No. Your church attendance will be fine if you can get this matter settled. I'm not real worried about that. Well, are you, are you talking to us this morning about standards? No. Standards will be fine if you get this matter settled. Are you talking to us today about serving God? No. Your service for God will be what it should if we get this matter settled. Oh, that we would learn this. What manner, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon you. This ought to be the thing we consider. And then strive to be like Him. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, just a few simple verses this morning. Nothing extraordinary as far as length or, or structure of message. But Lord, a, a powerful, powerful eternal truth. I pray that You would help us to behold it this morning. That we would not just look at it that we would not just tuck it away in our hearts and our minds, 